0: Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. There's an article by a guy named Joe Holland, and this is the title of the article. It kind of caught me. George Whitfield Tried to Kill Me. That's the title of the article. And in it, he recalls that George Whitfield tried to experiment with what's called polyphasic sleep patterns. The idea that you would sleep a little bit in the afternoon and a little bit in the evening and a little bit in the morning, and you would go in shorter times, you would require less sleep if you broke up your patterns of sleep. And so this man, Joe Holland, described, decides that he is going to try to be like George Whitfield. And so he gets up at four o'clock in the morning, willingly. Some of you get up at four o'clock in the morning, unwillingly for various causes. He got up willingly at four o'clock in the morning, and he would read um, McShane's uh, Bible reading program. And then he would work on his Greek and Hebrew. He would read the Valley of Vision. He would study over the Westminster Confession of the Faith. And finally, he'd kind of wrap it up with some light Jonathan Edwards. And by that time, the rest of his family would be awake and not too long into this he started to get headaches and after going to a doctor they went they send him directly to the er he gets a lumbar puncture and they figure out that he has viral meningitis and so he takes a couple months to heal from viral meningitis and he heads back to his rhythm his typical schedule back up at four o'clock in the morning with mcchain and all of his friends And then the headaches come back. But now he lives in a small town. And when he goes to get the lumbar punctures, it takes him six times to get it right. And again, he has viral meningitis. He says, you know, it's one thing to get viral meningitis once. But when you get it twice in under a two-year span, the doctors start to ask questions about your rest, about your rhythms. And he concludes the article this way. He says, so take my advice. George Whitfield will kill you if you let him. Walk before the Lord according to his word, and don't put pressure on yourself. That doesn't come from the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the word of God. See, this morning, you and I are embodied people. You and I were made of two parts. We're body and spirit. While our spirit is willing to accomplish these world-beating feats, our body is busy just trying to stay alive. It has to draw breath every three minutes. It has to put food in itself every three weeks. And it has to take in water every three days. I I looked it up, right, on the internet. And so it's definitely right, right? The longest recorded time without sleep is 264 hours. That's 11 days. You need sleep. You need food. You need water. You need all of these things. Friends, you and I are fragile things. It's not just that you and I require oxygen and food and water. The problems of our souls are significant. If the last 50 years have taught us anything, it's that the the pressures of this world can form us in all the wrong ways. Sometimes our very biology makes it hard to hold a thought or keep some semblance of happiness or just be able to function in this world. Like Joe Holland, we want to live somewhere between these two poles of productivity and limitation. We, as Christians, renewed in the Spirit, but embodied people, live between these two ways in a way that honors God. This morning, I think Exodus chapter 20, one of God's Ten Commandments, holds out an answer for us in this tension. I think Sabbath is God's answer to our question of productivity and restfulness. Truth be told, this morning I was reflecting on this, and I thought about all of us here at GCC. And I love all of you. But I think of all of these Ten Commandments, this commandment holds out the, the lowest hanging fruit for us. This commandment feels the most foreign to us, doesn't it? The idea that we would set aside 24 hours in our seven-day work week to just rest. That feels foreign to our midwestern work culture doesn't it how do i know this well i've been your pastor for seven years and i felt this thing of how woefully inadequate my understanding of this principle was and by nature of my leadership i can only suspect that you've inherited some of the same poor understandings that existed in my head i think many of us are prone to think that we just need a bit more time we're prone to think that that's the answer. If I just had another 24 hours to give to work or to get that project done or to set up this or that, or if I just had another 24 hours to train this child to get them to understand this or that, to discipline them, or another 24 hours to work on me, to get to the gym a few more times a week or to, to read that extra book, I would be okay. You ever find your way, yourself thinking that way? If I just had a little more, time, another 24 hours. Here's what I think Exodus holds out for us this morning, and we'll see this. This is our big idea. Our Sabbath rest reflects our faith that our work is not what saves us. Our Sabbath work reflects our our faith that our work is not what saves us. Now, I want to do things differently this morning. Typically, I would set before you an outline. I got to admit, I am a A sucker for a good outline, right? But this morning, we're actually going to approach this more like a puzzle, and we're going to pick up a piece at a time and see how these things might fit together. As we observe Genesis chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, we'll see these five different pieces at play. The first piece is that God commands a day of rest in verses 8 and 10. The second piece is is that Sabbath is to be unto God. The third piece is that God commands labor in verse 9. In verse 4, God commands rest because he rested in verse 11. And then piece 5 is we keep the Sabbath that he made holy in verses 8 and 11. Let's just do it. Let's just pick it up. Let's see how all of these pieces fit together. And let's inspect what God has for us in Genesis chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. I'm going to read various portions of what Jesse has already read for us as we pick up each piece and examine it. Let's look at piece number one. God commands a day of rest. Look at verse 8 with me. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then look at verse 10. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. I might stop and just kind of back off and say, what is this thing called Sabbath? How are we to understand it? If you kind of were to remember what we just were in in Exodus 16, there's a story about the Sabbath. In fact, it's the first recording of the word Sabbath in the Scriptures. See, God had drawn Israel out of Egypt. He drew them into the desert on their way to Sinai. There's no food that's available to them. And so God provides food through the miracle of providing manna. And every morning they were to get up and they were to collect a certain amount of manna that was sufficient for themselves, and they were to eat it. And if they tried to keep too much of it, it would rot and stink. But on the sixth day, they were to collect twice as much manna, And they were to save a portion of it for the next day so that they would not have to collect on what Moses called the Sabbath. See, in both places, in Exodus 16 and here in Exodus chapter 20, God uses the term Sabbath when he describes an intentional rest he wants his people to take. But God spells out exactly what this looks like in verse 10. He says, on it, on the Sabbath, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. Not only was the Israelite not to do any work, no one in their house was to do work either. And so all the kids in the room are saying, yes, let's do Sabbath, right? And you're not supposed to send the dog out to get the paper on Sundays, right? Because the livestock, I don't know if you can call your dog livestock, whatever. yeah. See, It would be tempting for these Israelite people to hire workers to work the Sabbath for them, right? It would be tempting for them to hire the nations around them in to do the work for them on the Sabbath. And God expressly forbids that very thing. Anyone who is dwelling within their house is forbidden from doing work. Thus, God specifically forbids slaves and livestock and sojourners Uh, from the work that may have been performed on the Sabbath. The truth is here, whatever the Sabbath was to be, it was for everyone. It was even for your animals. And we were to kind of press on into the law, we would see there was a Sabbath for the land. There was this principle of Sabbath that things were to get rest. The natural question might arise, why? Why does God institute this Sabbath rest. But I think that's a different piece of the puzzle. So the second piece is that Sabbath is to be unto God. We'll read verses 8 through 10 again, right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then in verse 10, he makes this phrase, he says, uh, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. God gives us two evidences in his description that that keep the Sabbath, uh, that say that the Sabbath was to be for God. First, the Sabbath is to be holy in verse 8. Holy things were devoted to God's use, right? Uh, if you were to kind of go on in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and other places in God's law, there was these devoted things, these things that were specifically for use in the temple. They were holy things; they were not supposed to be used for everyday common usage. And so, we see in Numbers 17 these offer or these censers that were uh, uh, offered for uh, incense uh, were to be collected and brought back into the temple because they were holy. We see that the priestly garments are supposed to be used specifically in the confines of the temple. They're used in the priestly service. They're not to be just worn around, right? Holy things are devoted things. It's a way of marking off what's common and what's meant for God. is an existence for God's purpose and for nothing else. And so when God says that the Sabbath day is holy, it's supposed to be marked off, kind of sequestered for a purpose of reflection upon God's goodness, right? Second thing is that Sabbath is unto God. We saw this in verse 10. Sabbath day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That is, uh, this day is for the Lord. Sabbath is not just without work. It's without work so as to be unto God himself. we We want to just pause and consider this for just a second. We recognize from this that the Sabbath and the weekend are two very different things. The weekend is meant for mowing lawns and football games and cross-country meets and everything else, but Sabbath is an intentional rest unto God. It stays away from anything that might be deemed work, but it also does so that we might consider God's goodness and mercy. See, when God calls Sabbath holy and tells us that Sabbath is to the Lord, it means that we should intentionally put on a process of reflecting meditating, and considering His person and His blessing. So we see that these first two pieces fit well. God commands the day of rest and that Sabbath's to be unto the Lord. Those two things fit together well. But again, there are still some pieces here on the table for us to consider. Look at the piece number three. God commands labor. Look at verse 9. "The six days you shall labor and do all your work. God designs six days of labor. Ah, See, this isn't just this high-minded, lazy living. God's not commanding a saintly slothfulness. Some of us are accustomed to different kind of styles of work week. Sometimes if you're in the nursing field, you work 312s. If you're in the construction field, you might work 412s. If you're a workaholic, you might work 715s or whatever it is, right? The point here is that God is saying there should be a time allotted for work and a time allotted for purposeful, intentional rest. There is one fact that we might miss in the midst of this context of Exodus chapter 20, is that Israel had been accustomed to a certain pattern of work. If we go back in Exodus, to Exodus 1 and 2, these people were slaves. They worked seven days a week building things that were not their own. They were deeply invested in things that would not bring them personal wealth or happiness. See, when God gives parameters for their labor, it's a grace to them to redefine what work looks like. When my grandparents died, we walked around the house and we found stashes of money around Their living place. Why? Because they had grown up in the Great Depression. They had lived through the Great Depression. And money was not to be trusted to institutions like Bank. They they were formed by particular instances and shaped by their own history. See, Israel had been shaped by their sin-cursed history of economic, social uh, oppression a system of labor which they were subjected to, they were on the butt end of pe- being taken advantage of. And their labor was not given to promote personal well-being. Rather, their labor was given to the building of particular cities in a foreign nation. And so God gives these people Sabbath. They're, they're looking at me like, I don't know what that is, and I don't know what that is. So we're just going to fight through it, Right try not to move too much. Rather, their labor was given to the building of particular cities in a foreign nation. See, God gives them Sabbath lovingly so that they can curb the false notions about work and labor. God lovingly guides and directs them. So we see it, right? God commands a day of rest. Sabbath is to be unto God. God commands labor. Let's look at piece number four. God commands rest because he rested. Look at verse 11. This is So important, so significant. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We want to just first stop and recognize at the beginning in verse 11 that four is significant, right? It's a kind of change of orientation that's happening in the passage. There's the commandment given in verses 8 through 10, and then there's the grounding given in verses 11 and verse 11. So there's an effect that is to be the commandment and the cause that is God's creative work in the six days of creation in verse 11. It's the effect that God commands, and it's the cause that God describes in verse 11. See, God made everything in six days. Notice how God mentions everything that exists. He says heaven and earth, the sea, all that's in them. There's nothing in those realms that's not described that God created, right? If there were any doubt, God is a creative God. In fact, if we were to kind of go back and look at Genesis 1 and 2, we'd find an interesting pattern. In fact, when we went back through the book of Genesis a few years back, we saw this. There was this pattern that was described as, as Moses wrote Genesis 1. He said, and God said, let there be, and there they would be you know, light or something else. And then the second part of that rhythm, and God said that it was good. Happens time and time again in Genesis chapter 1. But by the close of chapter 1, we get the following assessment of Genesis chapter 1. God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. But chapter 2 begins in a strange way, right? It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. He said, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Verse 2, and on the seventh day, God finished all his work he had done. So if you're listening, Genesis says that God finished the earth in six days, but then he finished the work on the seventh day. And you say, which is it? Did he finish it in six days, or did he finish it in seven days? You're confusing me here, right? The truth is that the world was not finished, even though all the work had been accomplished, until God had rested on the seventh day. Let's put on our theology caps this morning, right? God didn't need rest. Are we all in agreement here? God didn't need rest. He is not finite like we are. He does not run out of resources. When he works, he does not tire. When he creates, he does not run to lows. He doesn't take naps. He doesn't rejuvenate himself. God is never depleted or less than what he formerly was. Why does God rest? Because his rest was the completion of the creative goodness from Genesis chapter 1. In resting, God intentionally sets aside time for the celebration, appreciation, and reveling in the good thing that he had made. That's why in Genesis 2, he says he created it on the seventh day. You might say, wait, Jason. Exodus 31 says that God rested and was refreshed. And I would say, yes, you're right, it does. Good catch on that one, right? The word there, refresh, means to breathe or to be breathed upon. It's the emphasis upon invigoration. This is an anthropomorphism that must be careful. We have to be careful to interpret it rightly. God doesn't rest because of need. God rests, and he gets energy from his rest. He delights in his rest. He, he loves and revels in the beauty of, of what's happened and what he's made. See, if you and I are to Sabbath correctly, it can't be out of avoidance of exhaustion. It must be to consider the beauty and the richness with which God has created the world. I love Tim Keller writes this. It's on the screen in front of us here this morning. I'll bring it up, maybe. There it is. According to the Bible, Sabbath is about more than just taking time off. After creating the world, God looked around and saw that it was very good, Genesis 1. God did not just cease from his labor. He stopped and enjoyed what he had made. What does this mean for us? We need to stop to enjoy God, to enjoy his creation, to enjoy the fruits of our labor. The whole point of Sabbath is joy in what God has done. One more piece remains for us. to we keep the Sabbath that God made holy. What happens in verse 8? We see this concept of holiness that is at the front end of our passage and at the back end of our passage he says you shall not take the name that's verse 7 excuse me verse 8 remember the sabbath day to keep it what to keep it holy and then if you look at the end of verse 11 therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day and made it holy See, notice the bookends of this commandment that is we have the responsible uh, the responsibility and the good thing which god created to keep it holy. I once heard someone describe that the Sabbath is the only one of the Ten Commandments that's not restated in the New Testament. Every other commandment, he said, was, was uh, restated in some form or fashion by Paul or Peter or someone else. And so uh, Sabbath isn't binding for us today because we don't find it restated in the New Testament. And I, I thought that's strange because Hebrews 4, Hebrews 3 and 4 does very literally talk about rest. And then in Hebrews 4, mentions specifically the Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God. Further, Jesus has ample opportunity to tell us that the Sabbath is no longer binding In fact, he's having constant fights with Pharisees about the nature of the Sabbath and healing on the Sabbath. But he never tells us that the Sabbath is to be done away with because of his presence. Instead, he tells us that the Sabbath was made for man, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. And he implies that the Sabbath still has its purpose. You and I are to be Sabbath keepers. Yes, Jesus has fulfilled the law like Matthew 5. Yes, we are no longer under the law of Moses like Galatians 3, but there is wisdom to this concept of Sabbath, isn't there? And our inclusion in Christ and all the benefits of grace do not negate this fundamental axiom. We need rest from our labor and communion with God. I think it's the heart of Jesus when he says in John 15, whoever abides in me and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit. Our Sabbath is about abiding. Sabbath is about staying, reflecting, considering. Here's the truth. If you and I set out to do Sabbath on our own, we will fail miserably. If you set out to keep a day of the week in which you do no work, I guarantee you will make it itself a work. If you set the Sabbath, to keep the Sabbath like a rule, you'll you'll just never do it. Point in case, yesterday I set out to do Sabbath. I had been reading all of these great books. I had been studying. I had been investing. I said, I am going to do Sabbath. And the day started out well enough. I slept in. And after I woke, I made eggs and tea, which is a beautiful thing, right? I had a long time of reading and prayer with the Lord. But the afternoon got a bit more complex. I made lunch, and in making lunch, I made a mess. So I had to clean up my mess, and I'm thinking, is this the work that I'm not supposed to be doing? But I also knew that my wife wouldn't be happy if she came home and found a mess that I left because of Sabbath, right? There was some laundry that needed to be done. It was just nagging at me, so I I did a little bit of laundry, and I started thinking, it's only a bit of time. I can still keep my Sabbath perspective But things really unraveled when I had to interact with a customer support agent, right? I had to call the customer support line and interact with this person, and it's like everything kind of came falling apart. My spiritually-minded self became frustrated by having to interact with this part of God's broken world. Any thought of God's goodness, mercy, kindness was buried beneath The short-sighted perspective of problems, difficulty, pain. See, you and I tend to take things like work and rest and make them so much bigger than they were meant to be. We take our work and we make it our identity. So someone comes to you and they say, what do you do? And your immediate response is, I'm a fill-in-the-blank. Just once, I would love to look back at them and say, you know, they say, what do you do? And I would respond, I glorify God and enjoy him forever. Just see what happens. That's the nerd part of me that wants to see that happen, right? We overblow rest. How many times have you seen it on your Facebook where, or Facebook page where somebody says that what they really need is a beach and a bottle of wine? We overblow things like work and rest so that they don't, They don't just become means by which we glorify the Christ that has redeemed us. We make them replacements for Christ that give us meaning and vitality. See, in order to leverage Sabbath correctly, we have to see its gospel underpinnings. God commanded Sabbath as a predecessor to gospel truth. I was reading this article by uh, an author by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. And he started to say that Sabbath in the Scripture, as we consider its kind of trajectory through the Bible, has this creation, fall, redemption, glory kind of understanding. If you understand that, creation, fall, redemption, glory, that's kind of the arc of the Bible, that, that God has redeemed uh, what He's created as it fell, and He's redeemed it through the blood of Christ so that we can anticipate a glory in eternity with Him. Sabbath follows that same trajectory. Look at the Sabbath effect in creation. Sabbath was created for communion with God. This is what Genesis chapter 2 is describing. You, You recognize that the first 24 hours that man had on the earth was Sabbath, that God spent six days creating the earth, doing the work so that we could be stepping into the goodness and the wholeness of what he had created. When God created Sabbath, he created it for us so that we might receive blessing and then go and do our work ever before the fall ever happened. But the fall rhythm happens is that Sabbath was ruined, right? Exodus chapter 20 has to command us to Sabbath because we don't know that work and rest balance anymore. We don't know what it is to find blessing in God's presence and be pushed into healthy, appropriate work. We distort and minimize rest and work in our sinful humanity. But God has redeemed this. Sabbath is restored in Jesus. Matthew 11, Jesus gives this promise. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Consider Jesus' balances rest and work. Rest and work. It's not just that Jesus has restored Sabbath. Jesus will restore Sabbath. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. There remains this concept of Sabbath rest when all of this brokenness of our work, all of this brokenness of our rest will be done away with as we are fully redeemed in Christ. When God pulls that sinful nature out of us fully and finally so that we can rest and work in his kingdom for all eternity. See, Sabbath, then, is a seed that would become the oak of the gospel. If Sabbath calls us to stop working, the gospel did so all the more. If Sabbath calls us to be unto God, the gospel does so all the more. If Sabbath calls us to a kind of rest, the gospel does all the more. God had placed this seed into the soil of Israel's history. He watered it through generations of Sabbath keepers. And when the fullness of time had come, he showed us the Sabbath's true meaning in His Son, Jesus Christ. We might forget that Jesus was crucified just before a Sabbath. Right? They place Him up on the cross, and there's this controversy because there's Jews are coming to these Roman soldiers and saying, they must die before Sabbath. We We cannot bury Him on our Sabbath day. So they break His legs so that he might die more quickly. This means that Jesus was laid in a tomb motionless over a Sabbath day. And this statement is reflected in Jesus when he says in Luke 23, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is, Jesus had ceased from his work. There was no more healings to be done. There was no more messages to be preached. Jesus laid down for a final Sabbath day. Rest. By Jesus' obedience in death, you and I maintain a true Sabbath rest this morning. Amen. If you and I try to do Sabbath, we fail every time. But when we trust in Christ, the Sabbath takes on its true, full color and shape. It's here that a 24 hour ceasing from labor and struggle becomes a beautiful thing. I can rest because. God rested. I can rest because Jesus died. Christian, we need Sabbath. Let me just spell out briefly for you what Sabbath isn't. I think sometimes we need some perspective. We were talking in a small group, and there were so many questions about how to facilitate Sabbath and how to do Sabbath and, and what happens when Sabbath is done. And I, I don't have answers for all of that. But I think it helps us to, to understand briefly what Sabbath is not. We already described Sabbath is not a weekend. It's not just a time to stay away from the workplace. As much as Sabbath is about not doing work, it's even more so about doing something better in its place, about quiet reflection on God's goodness and His grace in Christ. Sabbath is not just holy laziness. It's not some uh, like some of us envision a long day of, of Netflix and Doritos and couch riding. That's not what this Sabbath is. See, we tend to think of work and rest existing in Continuum. Right To the degree that you're not working, you're resting, and to the degree that you're not resting, you're working. So I hear people all the time describe this work-rest balance, work-life balance. There's a a book, um, I cannot remember the author's name or the book's name, but it did not come from me. I'll just say that. And he describes that when we find these things in tension, that it's best for us to consider it like this. Not as work or rest, but as work or not work, or rest or unrest. You can live in one of these four quadrants. You can see if we go into the bottom right-hand corner and we rest, but we don't work. The Bible calls that sloth or laziness. If we work, but don't have rest, a lot of times we might describe that as slavery, Maybe a forced slavery or maybe an intentional slavery. or slaves to the idols of our hearts. We work but never rest. If we never rest and we never work, we might call that just surviving. That's the people, whether their life circumstances, whether uh, politically or, or medically or whatever else, they just cannot accomplish either rest or work. And it's a particular desperate place to be. But I think that this concept of Sabbath works in the upper right-hand corner where we have a healthy balance between work and rest. Consider the movements of our Savior, Jesus, who would spend his days healing and then retreat up the mountain for a time of quiet prayer. Who, when he finished his ministry in a foreign area, he went into the boat and fell asleep from exhaustion. Who carried out this Balance between what it was to work and what it was to rest. Here's what Sabbath is first, it's intentional rest. Different from the weekend, it's not just you taking time off, this is time devoted to understanding. God's goodness in Christ. It's reading good books. It's studying the scriptures. It's being with beautiful people that you love spending time with. It's eating good food. It's enjoying the fullness and the beauty of the life that God has given us in Christ. It's it's reflection on God's goodness and the beauty of the world which He's made. It, it leaves room and space for me to process the things that are happening in my life in light of the goodness of God, and, and allows me to kind of orient myself and put myself on the map of what God is doing. And then finally, it's, it's living in these life-giving relationships. It's spending time with my wife and with my kids. It's inviting good friends over for dinner. It's meeting up for coffee sometimes. See, the point is that every time we try to orient ourselves to what the Sabbath rest is to look like, the, the more we tend to make it a law and a rule. Jesus had all these fights with people over what Sabbath was. And he says this statement, he goes, you know, uh, the Sabbath exists for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the point is that you and I were meant to find rest in the goodness of our God in Christ. If that's what Sabbath is, you do it however you find ways to do it. You you find goodness in relationship. You find goodness in in the sweet things of life. You find goodness in, in study and All of those things are legitimate forms of Sabbath. I wonder if we wouldn't benefit from this. I wonder if we might step away from our workaday world. We might orient ourselves to the goodness and mercy of Christ. The God who gave us Sabbath, the God who renewed our Sabbath in Jesus. We might find ourselves to live in our kind of capitalistic, consumeristic society with a little bit more cleanliness, a little bit more holiness, righteousness, perspective. So we're going to do something different this morning. I just want to leave maybe 60 seconds. We might just close our eyes and reflect on what the Lord might be pressing on us. And then I'm going to close in prayer, but I want to just leave some space for us to, to think about these things that God has presented us with. You might go through the rest of your day. You might have schedule after schedule after schedule thing. You might be thinking about the football games that are coming up. You might be thinking of all of these things. I just want to leave some space right now for you to process what you've just heard. And then I'm going to take that to the Lord in prayer. Let's, let's go 60 seconds of reflection. Father, we confess before you this morning that we need rest. Lord, we see this morning that we have been given instruction from you. It's not just a commandment that you have set in front of us. It is a way of life, reality that you have redeemed in Christ. I wonder if you might help us to walk in him, help us to cease from our working, from our labor, and to find goodness and mercy in your presence. Help us to be a restful people. pray this in Jesus' name, amen.